Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Welcome back to Coast to Coast AM. Richard Serrett sitting in for George Norrie. And we're coming to you live from Coast Toronto, Canada, affiliate in-depth radio news talk 1010. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. S-Y, because I love you, T. Robert Sullivan uh, stays with us, uh, philosopher, historian, antiquarian, and uh, the author of two volumes of Cinema Symbolism, Cinema Symbolism, Esoteric Imagery in Popular Movies, and Cinema Symbolism 2, More Esoteric Imagery in Popular Movies, and The Royal Arch of Enoch. Uh, Robert, tell me about... Uh, mid, I think it's pronounced Midsummer, but it's uh, it's a Swedish film. It's spelled uh, summer is spelled S O M M A R. Is it pronounced Midsummer? No, no, it's actually pronounced Midsommar. Midsommar. Uh, yeah, it's um, that's uh, well, at the end of uh, 2019. There were four movies that I had really I had seen commercials for that I really wanted to watch. I've seen two of them so far with Joker and Midsommar, uh, or Midsummer. You could call it that. Probably the same thing. But um, and the other two were the Lighthouse and the uh, second uh, Maleficent movie. I haven't seen those two yet. Joker, we were just talking about, but Midsommar is just equally as symbolic, and it's it's very dark. Um, I've only watched it a couple times now, um, and uh, it's an incredibly dark film. Um, you really have to know a lot about Norse mythology um, in this one. Uh, a lot of references to the number nine. Um, uh, their their festival, their their summer fire festival is every ninety years. It lasts nine days. Uh, this is a reference to Odin, uh, the god of Norse mythology, who was crucified on the tree of life for nine days. Um, at the very, Ari Arster, the director, he does this in another movie he made called Heredity, which I've seen pieces of. But he likes to foreshadow everything. He likes to tell you um, the entire story or, or give you hints of the story as it's unfolding. If you ever, when you watch Midsommar, um, the first thing you're shown is this, this uh, four-paneled uh, painting um, of the movie. It's the entire movie. Uh, if you pause it, if you watch it in the theater, you, it, only, it only stays on screen for a couple seconds. Um, but if you pause it or you find it online and you look at it, it's the entire movie up until a certain point, literally laid out in front of you. Um, and and on, the, on the very first panel, again, we're dealing with a lot of Norse mythology, uh, we have the two ravens. Uh, this is where the, the this is. I don't want to give too much of the movie away if you haven't seen it. Um, but this is where the family uh, winds up getting killed um, in the murder suicide, and you'll see the two ravens on the panel. This is the ravens of Odin, of course, uh, Hugin and Mugen, um, thought and memory. Um, that's a little you know Norse uh, motif. Um, a little hidden sports reference in Midsommar that's very difficult to pick up on because it's actually in the script. Um, it doesn't turn up in the movie. Um, the, the girl, the daughter, Danny, and her friends are in New York City, but the family that winds up getting killed um, are in Minnesota. Um, and again, this deals with a lot of Norse mythology. And um, if you're, you know, of course, Minnesota has the Minnesota Vikings football team. And if you're familiar with the team, the uh, chant or the the, um, the greeting, I guess, is skull, which is an old Viking greeting. Right, and, right. Uh, actually, in the movie, um, when they we, when they get to the uh, encampment in Sweden, where this fire festival, the summer fire festival, is occurring, you'll hear the word "skull" thrown around when they're toasting. It's an old Viking toast, hence it's why the cat. It's why it's the catchphrase of the Minnesota Vikings. I thought that was a little um, pop culture reference in there. Uh, very well done by the filmmakers. Um, the movie itself fancies itself a remake of The Wicker Man. 
um, from 1973, starring Christopher Lee. Um, it has to do with a lot of pagan overtones. Um, it's both movies. Uh, there's a, um, a decidedly, you know, anti-Christian uh, theme to it, where where the Christian um, in both movies winds up getting uh, burned alive in a sacrifice. Um, oh my! So yeah, it's a very dark movie, um, um, but it is very symbolic. Um, and like I said, the one thing to really pay attention to when you're watching Midsommar is the movie is told to you as it moves along. If you pay attention to it, you'll actually see the movie playing out before it actually plays out. Um, there are subtle references all over the place in this thing. Um, very symbolic. It, it, you know, it's very gloomy, though, um, but uh, definitely worth watching. I enjoyed it, but a uh, very dark film, much much oh. like Joker is. And what's the subtext here? What what is the the, the is he just trying to make a, a a good film, or is there is there a message here he that he's the, trying to impart? Yeah, the movie is about uh, this girl named Danny who suffers this tragedy in in the very first act of the movie. Um, I don't want to give too much away. I guess I kind of have to. Um, but the, the 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 sister is sort of like a man. Her sister is sort of a manic depressant. She sends her an email saying. Um, I'm killing myself, and I'm going to take mother and father with me. And, of course, this is in Minnesota, and the sister Danny's in New York City, and she gets this message, like, you know, what, what the hell is this? What well, turns out to be true. Um, the daughter, the sister, winds up killing herself with carbon monoxide poisoning, and same with the parents. At this point, the movie is, um, the, the, the boyfriend of Danny is invited to this um, midsummer, summer solstice fire festival, essentially, um, in Sweden where this sort of isolated commune um, celebrates the summer solstice. And it's, it's essentially a breakup movie between her and her boyfriend. The boyfriend's name is Christian, of all things. Um, and it's, it's sort of an attack on him because he's very narrow-minded. He's sort of mean-spirited to her, towards her. And at any rate, there, there's loads of references in this thing. I mean, like, for example, when the... the um, the, the four friends, Danny, the boyfriend, and the, these three other people who are going to this uh, Swedish, um, you know, summer solstice festival. When they're go, when they're driving to it, the the filming is shot overhead. Um, you see the cars driving along this winding road. This is clearly designed to evoke uh, The Shining by Kubrick. Um, ah, right, it, right. It gives you this real deep sense of isolation that these people are being cut off from the rest of the world, much akin to the Torrance family. Um, to make you know to, to go on it, it explains the occult ceremonies the rituals that this that this group um, performs and at the very end of it the girl Danny winds up getting crowned May Queen um, she's sort of the queen of the commune as it were and it, it, as it unfolds you, you come to learn that this um, commune is into human sacrifice um, very dark film. Um, like I said, it, it, it's definitely worth watching. It's a very good movie. It's a very well-made movie. It's very gloomy. Um, you know, it's not uplifting in any way. But, um, <laughs> not a light romantic comedy. <laughs> no, no, not not a light romantic comedy by any sense. And like I said, if you've seen the movie, uh, the 1973 movie, The Wicker Man, starring Christopher Lee, you will definitely observe a lot of parallels between Midsommar and The Wicker Man. I mean, both movies deal with... Um, summer fire festival, celebration of the summer solstice. Um, this is what both movies revolve around. So they're very uh, pagan, they're very occult. And um, I like both of them. I, I like both movies, but again, very, very, very dark films.
Now, how do you watch a movie, Robert? Do you watch it once all the way through and just kind of let it wash over you and you enjoy it and then you go back and then uh, sort of critically examine it, not frame by frame, but almost? Yeah, that's um, part of my methodology. I do like to watch a movie to enjoy it. Um, A lot of times, um, you know, sometimes I can't help notice things in the background, so I I, I always have paper near me um, to make a little jot down a little note or something. Um, I usually, especially when it comes to analyzing a film, this has to be done on Blu-ray or DVD or something like that, because I've got to, you know, especially if they're watching it once, I've got to be able to jump around look at different scenes, pause it like you were describing at the intro at the beginning of the show, you know, stop it, go back, ask the projectionist to wheel it back, run it back essentially. But um, I, I can watch a movie just to enjoy it. Uh, but I know if I, if I discover that there's a lot of hidden symbolism or a lot of, you know, occult thematic um, elements going on in the film, I can't help but write them down or notice it or, or, or sit up in my chair a little more and say, oh, you know, now, I, now I'm kind of tipped off as it were, to what the uh, filmmaker's intent is, what they're going for. Is this alchemy? Is this paganism? Is this some sort of like anti-Christian theme as it is in Midsommar? Um, this is stuff that, you know, I definitely start to notice. I mean, for example, another one in Midsommar um, that's anti-Christian is the woman. Uh, once she gets crowned May Queen, is offered a fish to eat, and she rejects it, she spits it out. Uh, fish symbolism ties heavily into Christianity. Right, right. Um, so, you know, you have that going on as well. Um, but no, I can watch a movie straight through and just like enjoy it. But if I start seeing the symbolism, I definitely, definitely start making mental notes and perhaps making jotting some notes down as well. I, I can't do that in a movie theater, of course. No, no. Otherwise, as I said, we, you'd get kicked out. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, are filmmakers uh, adding the uh, the Jungian symbology or the occult references or the dark imagery? Are they doing that because they simply want to add layers to the film and make it more? interesting and more dense, uh, or in some cases, do you think there might be some nefarious purpose there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it's a combination of both. Um, I mean, I think, you know, it, it depends on your in- the definition of nefarious, because some people think, you know, like even what I've described in Midsommar, that could be nefarious. I mean, when you've got these expert craftsmen like, you know, Ari Aster or Darren Aronofsky or even Todd Phillips who did Joker, um, or Kubrick, of course, he's no longer with us. I mean, you've got these guys, I mean, they know what they're doing. They know how to use this material, and uh, they're experts at it. I mean, and, and it's definitely multi-layered. It's, it, it, if, if you, you know, and this was, again, part of my motivation for writing the book. Uh, Gil Guillermo de Toro is another one of these. Um, he just won the Oscar for The Shape of Water. Uh, his films are multi-layered as well. You could throw him into that mix. Um, they um, know what they're doing. It definitely adds, um, it, 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 these are works of art. It adds multi-dimensions, multi-facets, multi-layers to their film. They like that. They want that. They want people to be able to see things that they've hidden. They want people to pay attention to their films. They want people to observe um, these movies in different lights and to understand that there's different elements and uh, themes going on inside the movie. Like I said, Joker and Black Swan are more than just movies about loners being, you know, turning into something else. I mean, these are alchemical movies. This deals with transition of the self. When you're dealing with alchemical movies, there are certain things to look for. These movies have them. These guys know what they're doing. So on that end, I, you know, I, that stuff to me is okay. But then you start getting into some stuff that just seems to be, um, goes beyond the pale of, you know, is this a coincidence? 
you know, is there really something going on here? Um, you know, why is this stuff appearing um, in, in films? Can you give me an example where you, you, you got maybe a little anxious after seeing something? And you thought, that's just not right. That's yeah, not... Yeah, I mean, well, sure. I mean, it, the, the whole, the whole, um, the whole lead-up to the September 11th, um, 2001, I mean, you'll, you'll find a slate of movies. I mean, oh, the foreshadowing, foreshadowing, yeah. Foreshadowing this, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you have Fight Club with um, Brad Pitt and um, uh, Ed Norton, which was released on September 10th, 1999. This is almost two years to the day of 9-11, where, I mean, you have the destruction of the financial buildings at the end of it um, with the controlled demolition. Tyler Durden refers to the site as Ground Zero, um, you have the one scene in it where it's called um, Project Mayhem, where they destroy the piece of cor- corporate art, which is the giant globe, the sphere. And of course, if you're familiar with the World Trade Center site, there was that there. Was that there. It's called the sphere. It was a piece of corporate art right in the World Trade Center plaza. I mean, that's really disturbing. I mean, and then in the same year, 99, you have the Matrix with Keanu Reeves, where his passport expires on September 11th, 2001. I mean, you have the, the entire date. I mean, that's, that's very strange. And then you have the Simpsons episode, um, whichever it was, uh, Homer Simpson versus New York City, or New York City versus Homer Simpson. That was released um, four years prior to 9-11 on September 21st, 1997. So again, we're almost four years to the day. And of course, this is, if you're familiar with the world of conspiracy, this is the episode where Bart Simpson waves the money in front of a New York uh, magazine with 9-11 on it. I mean, this is, again, four years to the day. So, I mean, we have this timed synchronicity, almost countdown to 9-11. And then you, you can even look at another 9-11. I mean, you, you go back prior to 9-11, there's all kind of imagery in films. Donnie Darko, um, which was a movie that came out in October. Um, it, was, it was completed filming. It came out in October of, of 01. The filming was done beforehand, but this features a jet engine crashing down through a person's um, home, crashing through an American flag, of all things. Very, very disturbing. In fact, the movie um, Donnie Darko didn't do well in the box office because people thought that it was referencing 9-11 or something. Ah. People saw that. And then another movie that was done that came out in December of 01, which was already done filming, was Vanilla Sky um, with uh, Tom Cruise. And there's a scene at the end of that movie, and again, this was all filmed beforehand, where the Cruz character goes to the, t- it's, he's in New York City, and he goes to this um, fictitious skyscraper that is actually near the World Trade Center. You can see them in the background, and in order to snap out of his epiphany, he's, he's sort of like a trapped in a false reality also, like Neo was. He has to jump off a building, and as he jumps off the building, you can see the World Trade Centers uh, behind him. I mean, and, and when that happened, there was all kind of pressure on the film uh, studio, I think it was Paramount, don't hold me to that, to remove that scene or to alter it. And the um, director refused to. And I'm glad he did it because it's very poignant. But, I mean, you have all this 9-11 imagery just riding right up to the event. Predictive programming is is what it's called, right? Predictive programming. It's predictive programming is one way you can call it. I call it, you know, almost cinema as prophecy. Um, You can look at it. Young, Young had a term for this called Gustav Young. He called it synchronicity. Um, you could also apply his theory of collective unconscious uh, to this, that perhaps it's working in reverse, that if, collective, if the collective unconscious is inherited, is generating artwork, um, also a form of, of, 
a prediction. I mean, can, can cinema be a, a predictive element? I mean, is this stuff going in there subconsciously because we're all hard-tuned to this stuff on some sort of uh, predetermined timeline? I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying this was Jung's theory um, that this was inherited, and it could be um, perhaps uh, predictive as well. And same thing with synchronicity, that unrelated events are somehow related. Um, and th this is something that I'm fascinated with as well with 9-11. And again, you could call it predictive program. You could call it Jungian synchronicity. Very possible. I mean, it's, 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 it goes beyond coincidence. I can tell you that, Richard. But it's very disturbing. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it definitely is there. It's irrefutable. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.